Welcome to Now I See, a place where people share their eye-opening moments and how it changed the way they see themselves, their world, and their place in it. We hope you'll be encouraged and inspired by the stories you hear and challenged to see things in a whole new way, too. Sit back and enjoy this show that we've prepared especially with you in mind. I'm your host, Kit McCarty. Our guests today are Bob and Debbie Long. Welcome, team. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here, Kit. Bob is a professor at both the Baptist Theological College and Cebu Graduate School of Theology in Mandu City, Philippines. He teaches youth ministry, theology, Bible, and leadership courses. Bob and his wife, Debbie, moved to Mandu City. Am I saying that right? No. Mandawi. Thank you, Mandawi City. In September of 2014, after a career as a youth pastor and youth ministry consultant in the United States, Debbie, who has a degree in elementary ed from Indiana State University, has been his partner all these years. Both were working in youth, and that's what drew them together. Debbie currently teaches at the college with Bob. Her job teaches how to be successful in college and helps students learn English. Bob's mission is to develop the next generation of youth leaders to disciple the next generation of students. Bob, you have to be a little crazy to work in youth for so long. There's generally a lot of energy and drama, experimentation, and wonder in the teen and early adult years. So I see you as playful, purposeful, adaptable, and enduring. How do you see yourself? I see myself as um, a developer and a coach. Um, I enjoy being with youth because of their energy. So you haven't mentioned ages, but I am 73. Uh, I'll be 74 in September, and I've been working with youth since 1970. And so I have always thought they keep me younger, uh, they keep me thinking, um, and that's always a good thing. So I enjoy their energy, and I feed off of their energy. Um, I'm a little more sarcastic than they are. <laughs> I'm and, so glad that hasn't changed. <laughs> and, and so so I, I gravitate to Filipinos who are sarcastic as, as well. Uh, but... Um, so I, I, I see things in life that are, people don't see as funny, but I see as funny. So I entertain myself sometimes. Well, I think it's great to have a sense of humor, especially since you've been working with youth for so long. And it's always humorous, as we were talking about before turning on the mics, about the funny things that happen cross-culturally. Debbie, I want to turn the light on you for just a minute. I see you as supportive and well-organized and a wonderful helper to Bob and his ministry. How do you see yourself? That sounds good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Debbie is our resident introvert, so she made it quiet uh, most of the show. We've already determined that she will be a helper to Bob if he, in case he needs a little bit of help telling the stories. Um, and I'm sure that we have a bunch, so let's jump right into them. Um, so how did you become those things, playful and yet purposeful and flexible? Were those things that you always were, or did you have to learn those along the way? My family was... Uh... I, today we would call it dysfunctional. So my uh, mom was fighting to get out of co the control of her mother, and my father uh, became somewhere in, when I was young an alcoholic. And so he he was very um, he was very funny, told stories really well, and I would watch him and I would learn from that. Um, but in the family, I became the guy who made my mom laugh. 
So um, in bad situations, I would look for the funny things, the way things were said or worded and uh, try and diffuse the situation through laughter. So that's where I picked some of that up. Uh, then uh, I just watched my dad. I liked the way he uh, handled crowds. Uh, he was a teacher, uh, but he also, when he was three years old, he was put on stage. Uh, he was a tap dancer, and um, he performed during World War II at, on the military bases. Uh, as a soldier, they looked for local talent. And so I really admired that. So probably put the two of them together, and that's where that came out. Oh, and I love the juxtaposition that ends up in you. Although I haven't seen you tap dance. You got I, it in you? Well, when I was three years old, oh, okay. <laughs> my, my, my dad said dance. And I tried to dance. He goes, you're not a dancer. And so I didn't listen to a lot of the things my dad said. I didn't listen to most of the things my dad said. <laughs> but I'd listen to that. And so I, I don't dance. Um, and so I'm not. I think what he meant was I wasn't as coordinated as he was at that age but what I took it was that I can't dance and so I can't I have big feet and they don't move very well so I don't dance I'm musical but but you are a great storyteller and you have a wonderful ability to find the funny in pretty much everything which is why it was so much fun for me to work with you and I know your students Mm -hmm. are feeling the same way so tell me how you got into youth ministry so when I was in high school uh, I had a 50-year-old insurance salesman uh, who was our youth leader, and he led the youth group um, pretty strongly, but he liked to work through us, and so he he gave us, uh, he developed us sort of, and he gave us the ability, and I uh, was elected as one of the leaders in the youth ministry, or yeah, in the youth group, and took leadership, but there were a couple times where he wasn't real excited about me being in that position because uh, he didn't think I was serious enough. And so, <laughs> well, <laughs> he he would tell he uh, he told people that he thought it was a mistake for me to uh, to to be in that position. Mm-hmm. And then when I went to the college that I went to, he told some people that uh, I had made a poor decision. Um, the amazing thing was after each one, um, when I when I showed that he wasn't correct. He actually came up and apologized to me. And I had never had an adult a male. My dad had never apologized for anything. Uh, and he apologized. And I was so taken aback. And then the, the second one with the school was about four years later. And he came up and said, you know, I was just really wrong. He says, you, you went to the place that you should be. And I'm really proud of, of how you've come through that. And so I remember thinking that if I uh, went into ministry, that if if I could be what uh, Art Lindell was um, in a, another kid's life, then this would be a um, uh, a uh, good thing to be doing, uh, to involved in. And I also knew that I could keep doing it until I was at least 50 years old, uh, because he had had an impact on me as a 50 year old. So I knew I could stay in for a long time. So that kind of put us put me on that. Then when I graduated from college, went to uh, Dallas Seminary. The thought was really college ministry or below. Uh, I had started working with the high school group my senior year in college at a small church that for some reason asked me to take over their youth ministry. I uh, probably wasn't their best guy (laughs) to to do that, but um, I uh, really enjoyed it and just started learning. So that was kind of the early thing. So it just really, uh, things kept happening and it would keep... um, 
backing up that idea. So when Debbie and I met, she was headed in youth ministry too. I had dropped out of uh, Dallas Seminary and I had worked for the government for seven years and I was really actively involved in youth ministry in our churches and just really enjoyed it. So I went back. Uh, by the time Debbie and I had married, we went back with the idea we're, we're going into youth ministry for life. And that was about 32 at that point. So uh, that kind of launched us into that. Well, Debbie, you were in youth ministry, as Bob said, before you got married. Did you ever imagine that this would be your life, that you would be in youth ministry for your entire career? <clears throat> no, not really. Um, though I was always very shy, very quiet, very reserved. And um, it was amazing to me. Somebody invited me in my church, invited me to work with the youth after I had graduated from college. And I thought, I never related to high school students when I was in high school. How could I possibly relate to them, you know, now? But I was amazed that I could. And um, it was easy and it was fun and I really enjoyed it. And so continuing in youth ministry when Bob and I met and then when we eventually got married um, made sense because I felt and it was interesting when I was only I guess I was about 23 or 24 before I'd ever met Bob I remember having a conversation with somebody what do you do when you believe God is calling you to do something and he doesn't give you what you need to do it and what I felt like God was calling me to do was work alongside of somebody in youth ministry. So, yes, I guess I did feel that that's where God was going to direct our lives. Mm-hmm. Well, I love how that worked out. And so Bob brings all the crazy and the fun for the kids that need that. And you were always there for the sensitive ones, the ones who were overwhelmed by the noise and the chaos and just needed somebody to be there and to listen. And so what a great thing God did when he brought you together and has continued to do uh, throughout these many years. You said 44 years together? Yeah. Congratulations. That's so great. Um, so... Uh, I'm just stunned that somebody would say they didn't think that you had what it takes to be in the position that you're in, and yet you've outlasted most people that go into youth ministry. Most people use youth ministry as a stepping stone to something else, but you didn't. Yes, and to to be fair to Art Lindell, um, we were elected. There was another guy named Fred, and Fred was elected president, and I was elected vice president, and we were in our third year and we had a reputation around our high school as being pretty crazy. Uh, Fred was out with the ones that drank, and I was just with the band uh, crew, and we weren't known as really serious Christians. And that, um, and so he was he was right. I, when I became a youth pastor, I never would have put the responsibility that he put on me um, because I. You know, I, I would have worked at, uh, how do I want to say this? I, I would have worked with them more to develop them to put it in that position. Um, so I kind of took it as a, uh, when I heard that he said that, and it was uh, several months later, I really looked at my life and I went, well, you know, he's got a point. And, and then when I became a pres- the president the, my senior year, um, and I could tell that he really didn't, but didn't want to, but he really didn't have any other choices uh, then I decided, you know, he's right. I just really need to turn my life around. So in, in some ways, his 
um, his truthfulness um, was what I needed to hear to to challenge me on, and and that's kind of been the the point from there on. So when I uh, went to uh, graduated from Dallas Seminary when I was 32, I told the placement person I wanted to go in youth ministry uh, forever, and uh, he looked at me and said, um, "Well, that's really interesting because you're the only graduate that I've heard." in this class that wanted to do youth ministry for that long. And I said, well, he says, are you sure? And I go, yes. And so then I spent the, the rest of the, of, for the next 20 years, I was in four churches, and usually I had uh, the same problem getting in. You know, why does someone 40 years old want to do youth ministry? Are you, you just want to be a, a Peter Pan, a child the rest of your life? <laughs> Maybe. And it's like, well, that would be, you say that like it's a bad thing. You know, this, this could be a good thing for, for you. But, um, and so even uh, my last, the last church I was a, a youth pastor at full time, um, I was 44, 45, and they took a chance on me, and it was the best youth ministry I had. I was there for eight years, and it really grew a lot um, and developed a lot. And so it, it, for me, the older I got, the better I got. And the older I got, the more the girls stopped looking at me as a possible love interest and started seeing me as a father and then uh, as a grandfather, uh, which is really nice. So you don't have to worry about some of the things. And so you can, uh, you start treating them a little bit differently and caring for them. And they respond because so many of them here in the U.S. and definitely now that we're in the the Philippines, uh, they don't have good relations with fathers or the fathers are not there. And they definitely don't have grandfathers because most of them are dead Mm -hmm. by about 67 or 68. So um, there, it's it's been an interesting niche as we've gone through. So there's been the constant, um, you know, you're you're one of the only ones. I'd have youth pastors say, "Wow, you're like a, a, a legendary," and and you know that you stayed in so long. You know how, and they've usually asked how how did they, you know, how did I do this? Uh, and so it's we in some ways we are the the ones who are kind of going against the stream of a lot of things. And probably for me, it's just I'm very stubborn. Uh, and I've always felt that that's the way God wanted me to go. And so if God wants me to go that way, then I needed to go that way. I think also uh, key to your success is you understood that youth ministry wasn't all about activities and events, the retreats, the camps, the concerts, the games, the shaving cream, pies in the face. It was more about relationship, and I think that's always been a strength of yours. Um, can you speak to that? Yeah, w- when I started in the '70s, uh, we didn't have a lot of stuff. You know, we and so basically, when I went to youth ministry conferences, it was you you need to build relationships with students, and you need to talk about Jesus, and you need to, uh, to teach them the Bible. Uh, and so that's all we knew. And then we uh, youth ministry took off and became a lot more professional. And there's some really good ministries, and they're doing a lot of really good things. But some of them lost the point that it's still about relationships. It's still about the, uh, teaching them the, uh, the Bible and helping them grow in the relationship with, with Jesus Christ, either to bring them into that relationship or to help them grow. So, um, you know, we, we saw, saw that happening, and we just kept going back. So in, in some ways, I, I have a, a friend that has quoted, uh, uh, has coined a uh, thing that he calls that we tend to worship 
the God of the next thing. Mm -hmm. And so we had this idol that we always went to, what's the next thing? We're realizing that Jesus basically built a relational ministry and and taught about himself and about the uh, God's word and called people to commit to that and to follow that. And so we've really tried to simplify ministry and go back to that. Now at my last church, you know, we had the worship band and, and we had the lights and we, we did a lot of that programming stuff. But at the heart of that were small groups and we're into the Bible. And my teaching and the people I had teach with me wanted, wanted them to know the Bible very well and to have that um, impact their life for the rest of their lives. Well, I think that's always been the strength and hallmark of your ministry, and that's what is giving you huge success where you're serving now. We're going to take a break, and in just a moment, we'll be back to hear more about that story. As Bob observed, the best way to build and sustain anything of significance is to build and maintain relationships. We are so grateful to those of you who have been with us from the very beginning. It's been fun to get to know you through our media outlets, to introduce you to my friends, and to share their stories of courage, inspiration, and hope with you each week. I hope you've enjoyed sharing these podcasts as well. Your encouragement means so much to us. Drop us a line at any of our socials at NowICPod. During the past two weeks, you've heard from Charles Kelly and his work in the former Soviet states of Latvia and Ukraine, and Nathan Olomu and his work in Kenya, East Africa. Check our Facebook pages for their videos and pictures. And of course, this week we're talking with Bob and Debbie Long about their work in the Philippines. You can get all the information on these guests and any of our previous guests on our site at nis.media. To find out more about their current projects and ways you can help, just click on our Featured Causes tab, and you will find links that will take you directly to their sites for more information and ways to give. For the next three weeks, a generous donor has made a matching challenge of $2,500 to benefit the needed building repairs and the construction of the girls' dorm at the college where Bob and Debbie are teaching. That means every dollar you give will be doubled up to $2,500. Take advantage of that. What a difference it will make to those students who are eager to get their lives back after two years of COVID lockdowns and the devastation caused by Typhoon Odette. From Europe to Africa to Southeast Asia, I hope you've been enjoying stories from our international guests. It's like we've been on a world tour together, all from the relative comfort of our own homes. No standing in line at airports, no getting our bags through customs, or changing time zones, or eating strange foods. Next week, we'll be a little closer to home when we hear from Betty Grosinger, author of Davenport Dilemma, and her newly released sequel, Davenport Daughters. These are the perfect summer reads. These novels of intrigue and suspense based on true stories will give you chills, even in the midst of triple-digit summer heat. Now, back to today's hot topic, brought to you by Bob and Debbie Long. We're 
we're back from our break. Now, before break, Bob, you were telling us about how relationships really strengthened your ministry, and that's certainly what you're capitalizing on now in the position where you serve at the uh, theological school and the college. Tell us a little bit about where you're serving. When we uh, did ministry, what I started seeing is that there were um, youth pastors that were really struggling in youth ministry. And uh, I was in my 50s by that time and just wondered that if somebody cared for them and took care of them, would they stay in ministry longer? And in the process of, of doing that, then I launched a ministry within our uh, denomination. I was the district director of student ministries and, and basically was a pastor to youth pastors. And in going to conferences and really thinking through, I found out that, that what I do really well is I coach well. Uh, I have learned to ask questions to get them to help solve their own problems. But I've also become a really good troubleshooter. And several of them have said, how is it that I make this presentation that I think is really good and your first statement is at the weakest point of my, my proposal? And I know it's weak, um, but I try and get it by you and you always catch it. And so I, I found that I do that really well. So uh, what I started looking back on was that my ministry, uh, I wasn't the greatest speaker in the world um, and I, I taught okay. Uh, but I could build relationships, and especially relationships with, with high school and college-age uh, people. So um, in that process, I started working with a, a youth pastor in the Chicago area that was Filipino. He was second generation, and uh, he kept talking about, uh, you need to go to the Philippines with me, you need to go to the Philippines with me. And at that point, I'd had, I had never thought about the Philippines. It was just never on the radar to do anything with. And so he uh, said, we need to go over sometime and train. My dad has retired. He was a pastor in the, in the United States for a while, for about 35 years, I guess. And then he retired, went to the Philippines to, to work with young pastors. So he said, we need to go over. Well, then something really catastrophically tragic happened to him. His name was Godfrey, and, and he found himself in a, um, a chair uh, with very little mobility. And so I wanted to do a trip that Godfrey wanted us to do. So I set up uh, my first trip in about 2013 uh, to go to the Philippines and to, to do some youth ministry training with his dad. In the process, I uh, came upon a, a another a Filipino that runs a, a youth ministry, nationwide youth, youth ministry, and we had taken the same training. Uh, he took it in Singapore and I took it here in the United States. And so we found that we really went hard. So we did some training together and after about 10 days, when he was leaving, he said, you know, you really should think very carefully about coming back. Uh, and so I, I, I said, well, are you thinking once, you know, once a year, twice a year? He goes, whatever. I go, move here. And he just goes, if you're serious about that, you just blew my mind and we'll talk. So in the next year, Debbie and I, I went back. Debbie and I started praying. Um, God kept bringing Filipinos across my path. Uh, just out of the blue, uh, and we started seeing that that was the next step. And so um, a, uh, a missionary with our uh, denomination that w had been in the Philippines for over 30 years, uh, he, we, I ran into him randomly at a church, and he invited me to, if I came back to the Philippines, to go to um, Cebu to Mandawi City and to, uh, to see about the school. Um, and he, he thought I'd fit really well in the school and then do youth ministry training outside. So that launched us there. Um, and within two years, uh, after going and visiting, within two years, we were in the Philippines in 2014. 
I guess my first trip was 2012. Uh, so in 2014, we went, our, our house sold uh, in two days. Uh, we raised, uh, I had half of my support already raised for my position uh, with our district. And then we raised the other half in about two and a half months. I'd have my friends would contact me and say, is it too late to get on board? Can we give money? Because, you know, it's going so quick. And, and so in uh, September of 2014, we went there. And, and the idea was to, um, to teach and then to train in some of the islands. And, and God brought it into that. Uh, we don't have time to go into that one. But um, basically, he got us there on campus. And in my first class, I'm, I'm going, you know, I'm a political science psychology major, and I was a systematic theology major in, at, um, uh, at Dallas Seminary, and I have no educational background. And so I'm thinking I'm the world's worst teacher, but I was a really good youth pastor. And I looked at the class, and I said, these look like they could be my ministry team in my youth group. So what do I do with them? Well, I build relationships with them. I spend time uh, off campus. And so... Uh, we started uh, bringing them over to our house. We'd have a, 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 a sloppy joe. We'd serve them sloppy joes and, and chips and ice cream. And said, this is a U.S. meal, American meal, come. And then we'd ask them questions. Uh, and we just started building relationships. And I started seeing that the Philippines are, the Filipinos are incredibly relational people. And yet they were modeling uh, programmatic youth ministries uh, because that's what the U.S. did. So they mimic the U.S. Uh, a lot and kind of miss that end. And as I talk to them, they go, we can do relationships. I go, yes, of course you can do uh, relationships, and that's what you need to do. So we just built this relational end, and I was really started treating them as kind of I was their pastor in many ways, not just their teacher. Uh, and it really kind of caught on. Some of the faculty um, started treating a little bit differently, and, and one um, – uh, American missionary actually had been there for a long time and is highly relational said you know you guys have uh, Debbie and I have really changed how she approaches ministry because she never thought that you could build a relationship with a student um, and he says and, and I was wrong and so the the Filipino faculty has kind of changed and a lot of them are doing more things with with students outside of the uh, outside of the classroom and then about I guess four years ago so we've been there eight years and about four years ago, I just said, you know, can I be the campus pastor as well? So I'm, I'm still teaching some things, but I'm also overseeing the chapel and some of the spiritual uh, things, the discipling ministries that go on within the, the school system. And so it, it really has come down to using the strengths that I had in relationships, um, using the, the coaching and mentoring uh, skills that I picked up along the way because uh, I still mentor a lot of the graduates now and, and spend some time with them. And just in the past uh, couple of days now, there's um, uh, a guy that I've been mentoring for about five years. He's been graduated two years ago, but he just had a baby about 14 days ago maybe, and, and she's been in the hospital the last three days. And so there's a a constant email or actually Facebook messenger messaging going back and forth. Keep praying. She's doing better. And as we keep this mentoring thing going. And so it, it's been the, the good thing about the, our trip to the Philippines, we were nervous because 65. And so it's a, uh, we should be retiring and, right. and, you know, going on the golf course and laying back. And instead we decided let's learn a new culture and, and do something really radically different but as I'm talking, it kind of fits into, I, I never quite 
went the direction that everyone else went. And so while missionaries were retiring to come back to watch their grandchildren, uh, we never had children. And so we have no grandchildren and our parents are dead. So I kept telling people on the mission that, you know, we're expendable. And so we'll go over. And so we just have thoroughly enjoyed that. Uh, we love the students and love the relationships that are that we've been able to build through there. So we're now probably going to retire there unless something major would happen that we'd have to come back here that physically that couldn't be taken care of in the Philippines. We're just planning on staying there. We have an open invitation from the school, uh, and they'll probably take care of us when we're uh, older and not quite as sane, maybe. <laughs> How will they be stay. able to tell? I know. Well, Debbie, they'll know. Oh, okay. Well, well. They'll know Debbie. <laughs> well, it does look like retirement to me. You look like yeah. snowbirds. You traded the cold tundra of the windy city for a tropical climate. Right. <laughs> oh, that's it. Yeah. That's and, it. That's your retirement. <laughs> and and my brother, when I went, he says, are you, are you crazy? He says, the Philippines, Bob, there's like two or three mosquitoes. They're, they're bugs that can kill you. They're, there's earthquakes. There's volcanoes. You know, you're in the ring of fire. You know, are, what are you thinking? And I go, well, the people are really nice. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> well, your brother may have known something that the rest of us didn't know because you have handled two very traumatic incidents in the recent past. Uh, one of those was covid and the other was a hurricane that radically changed the way that you were teaching yeah. and uh, doing relationships there. Tell us. Yeah, so the, the past two years, probably like everywhere in the world, the past two years, uh, the pandemic has, has really hit the Philippines hard. Uh, we've, uh, we're still under quarantine. Uh, the quarantine is, is low now. We're basically masked and are encouraged to keep some social distancing, but uh, the schools are just starting to open up. So we've been online, uh, which is, has been very hard because almost all, well, maybe two or three of our students have a tablet or a laptop. Uh, most of them are very, very poor. Uh, a lot of uh, the listeners may have, have been at conferences or concerts and they've seen the uh, you know, Compassion International uh, tables with the kids. Well, over half of our students are literally Compassion kids. Um, and, and so they're incredibly poor. Uh, we've worked hard scholarshiping a lot of them to get uh, phones, but they do all their work on uh, smartphones, uh, and the signals are in and out. They're unreliable, uh, and so it's been very hard the last two years. And then in uh, December, uh, a hurricane, a typhoon is what they call hurricanes in the uh, Pacific, uh, but a, a Category 5. Uh, came across our town and so the eye was just south of us it had never come uh, directly at us before so this is uh, in their experience they'd never done this before and it uh, it really caused a lot of damage at the at the school so the the dorm the boys dorm was damaged uh, there's a, a, a Chinese Christian uh, Chinese Filipino Christian organization that's going to help there but uh, our girls dorm was intentionally taken down uh, before the storm, which is probably good because it, it would have been taken down by a large mango tree that, that fell right there. But they're now trying to rebuild. But uh, they had money to, to rebuild, but the prices have gone up uh, tripled, quadrupled. Uh, and so we desperately need to be able to get back on campus where they need to be back on campus. Uh, we need a girl's dorm. So that has been the challenge. Just doing it online has been an incredible uh, challenge. We'll do Zoom calls. I think everyone is doing Zoom, and we'll do Zoom. And 
our students uh, say they're they're like flashing Christmas trees uh, because the students will in and out, in and out, in and out um, all the time, and there's constant movement uh, as the students go into a different slot until they come back. So there's no um, we we recorded all of them. Uh, but there's just no continuity for the students. So they can't hear necessarily, and then a lot of them have a hard time downloading to be able to listen again. Uh, so it, it's been a real it's a challenge. It's been hard on teachers because all of a sudden we have to figure out how to teach very differently, and, um, and it's hard because you can't really talk. So everything is done either through uh, Facebook Messenger, uh, our communication, immediate communication is done through their uh, and a very few students will hang around for um, uh, during the Zoom calls. Uh, Debbie has, has tried to tutor some in English uh, while they're going in and out um, on, on her Zoom calls. So it, it, it's been a challenge. Our biggest challenge that we're facing right now, obviously, is the, the island is, <clears throat> is opening up. Uh, there's some, <clears throat> excuse me, there's some talk that uh, we may be able to go um, back uh, in person, but that's impossible for us because we need a girl's dorm. So it's, uh, they're facing a huge task. There's not a lot of money uh, in the Philippines. We're in a developing economy um, and it was set back by COVID. And so now they're trying to restart uh, that. So there's just not a lot of money. And because Cebu City is about 5 million people and that many people were, were without power and water after the typhoon. So everyone's trying to build, everyone's trying to get back. So like here, the prices have just skyrocketed for everything. Well, now I see has fabulous listeners and I know they're going to want to help. How can people help you and the students? Well, uh, we have, have uh, probably a hundred people that help support us. So our finances are, are going well. And so we're trying to raise money for the school. So um, I think you have some uh, online places that we can actually give uh, the address there. The, um, uh, we are with uh, Converge Worldwide. It used to be the Baptist General Conference. Uh, and so we're a denomination that uh, has had for since the 50s, we've had missionaries uh, uh, in the, the Philippines, and that has grown. Our school is totally run uh, by Filipinos now that have, have taken over. They've got their doctorates, and they're running it. Uh, so we have an uh, account set up with uh, Converge Worldwide uh, that's a, a relief re uh, account for Typhoon uh, Ray, R-A-I. Um, over in the Philippines, it was Odette. Uh, the Philippines, again, mirror the U.S. They saw the U.S. did things alphabetically, and they went, this is a lot easier to remember. <laughs> so um, they, everyone in, in, in South Asia, Southeast Asia, see it as Typhoon Ray, and we say Odette. So don't get confused if you want to give, and you, you'll see the two. But there, uh, there is an address that we will um, uh, post on the website uh, that they can go if, if they would like to, to give. Um, we need a lot of money. It's about $200,000 uh, U.S. is the amount that they need. They had raised about a fourth of that because that's how much it was before uh, the, the typhoon. So if they'd like to give, they can do that. It uh, is a, um, they can get a, a tax deduction for that. The um, uh, denomination is only taking out 6% uh, to handle the, the admin cost, and then everything else will get to the school. It, it will go be wired directly to the school's uh, account. So no one else gets money. We get no money out of that personally. So if, if you want to help some very poor people, 
Uh, we're from, uh, we draw about, well, we have 70 students. They're from about nine different islands, and almost all of them are coming from very impoverished situations. So they barely can afford, well, most of them can't afford their tuition, and so we've had a scholarship that as well. So it, they need to be back. They are the best and the brightest of, their, of those churches, of those communities, and they're going to go back as, as teachers. We train a, a lot of teachers who go into public schools and then also into, develop their own church schools. Many of them start schools in their communities. And then um, we also develop pastors that will go back in and, and work with their people. No one goes in anywhere else. They all go back to their home. It's very uh, interesting. They have no... Uh, there's not a thing like here in the United States that you move from state to state or ministry to ministry. Uh, they will go back to their uh, people and take care, care of them. I think it's always wise to invest in community leaders, and that's exactly the kind of people that you're talking about here. People who are um, building communities, are teaching, who are um, leaders, who are relational, and it's just so important. And so is there a way to sponsor students individually, or is is the money divided among them? You know, the um, probably the building right now, the, okay. the scholarship is – is coming in. We're waiting to see. Uh, we have a new president uh, that's coming. Uh, the the national government has been scholarshiping more, the poorest of the poor, and almost all of our students qualify right. for that. So uh, we, uh, through our ministry, we have people that scholarship about seven to ten of them, uh, and it's it's the rest of them seem to be doing okay. okay. So doing direct. Uh, uh, would be harder. Okay. Uh, right now, I guess our whole focus is is that we'll we'll take care of the students' tuition later. We just need to get them back on on campus. So that's a need. Uh, the other thing that these students are are doing is kind of interesting because uh, Filipinos are known to be very friendly and very outgoing, and so um, they're accepted by almost every culture. Uh, and so a lot of them are going as missionaries now. So we have several of our graduates that are missionaries in Cambodia and in Thailand. Um, and uh, they, uh, they go and they're very inexpensive uh, to, uh, to support. And right now some of our students, that's kind of on their mind. They, they want to go. So it's not just back to their local communities. They want to, to, to take God's word farther um, and they do it very well when they they get there they're hard workers and uh, they will go where other people don't go and they'll sleep on people uh, sleep where other people won't sleep and mm. uh, they're a lot cheaper than americans to, <laughs> <laughs> to go overseas um, as we close out our show today is there anything that you'd like people to see more clearly as a result of our conversation probably two things one is that uh, almost all of you know a youth and um, I, I still fondly remember Art Lindell, my youth leader, when I was in high school, and it didn't take a lot of his time or a lot of, of thought for him to deeply impact my life. It was just, just being him and him talking to me and recognizing me. And as, as I look at the changes since the 60s when I grew up till now, it seems like that's a still the same thing. They're the, this generation, whether we think it or not, are looking for older people to invest in their life. And so whether you're in your 40s or 50s or your 80s, uh, they would love to have somebody that listens to them and just cares for them and doesn't come with an agenda of telling them how to get better, but just listens and helps and at their pace uh, listens. And, and so 
uh, I think that's the lesson here. And then obviously we learned um, in uh, uh, overseas. We know not everyone is um, can go overseas, but you can support. You can support what we're doing, and especially in in this case with the dormitory. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're kind of fixed on that. Well, it's exciting to know that even just a small gift goes a long way yeah. in that particular. Um, area. So thank you so much for your time today. It's been a joy to have both of you here to hear about the exciting work that you're doing, not only here, but around the world and the impact that you've made on generations. It really has made a difference. It certainly has inspired me. And thank you, listeners. We will see you again next week. We're so glad you were able to join us for today's compelling story. You can find out more about our guest today by reading our show notes or visiting our website, nis.media. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Special thanks to the team at Headset Radio for their technical expertise, and to Becky Salazar for our bumper music. See you next week.